Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Well, it was a couple of Sundays ago, I was speaking with one of our members, just talking to people before the service, and he said, you know, my wife and I just had COVID. And he said, you know, there are two kinds of people. I said, really? He said, yeah, there are those who've had it and those who are going to get it. He said, have you had it? I said, no. Well, I fixed that. I fixed that. And uh, it's good, good to be with you. Good to be back in the land of the living. So it's great to see you today. We're in uh, our current series entitled Stewardship in a, uh, uh, in a failing, faltering world. And we're looking together at how believers can steward their lives faithfully in a culture that is rapidly changing, increasingly hostile to the faith, and at the same time, showing signs of coming apart. And we've examined already the importance of stewarding the truth that God gives us and uh, stewarding it in in the face of a whole uh, number of lies about life and reality and about God himself. But today we want to look especially at stewarding one of the most important gifts and one of the most important relationships God gives to us We want to look specifically today at stewarding our children. And I want us to look together at giving our kids a living choice in a dying world. Now, it would be natural for us to think that this message is only for parents. But in reality, this message is for everyone and anyone who has any kind of responsibility for kids. And beyond a shadow of a doubt and without question, the church of Jesus Christ and every person who makes up the church of Jesus Christ shares in the responsibility of caring for and stewarding children. So we're going to look together at this subject today and uh, we want to look at it with the notion that all of us share some responsibility in the body of Christ for the children who are among us, but particularly for those children that God has put in our homes. And we're given an extraordinary insight into the proper stewardship of kids in a very brief episode from the life of Jesus. And I wanna invite you this morning to turn with me and look at Mark chapter 10, verses 13, 14, 15, and 16. I invite you to join me there, Mark 10, beginning at verse 13. The scripture says, and they were bringing children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall never enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now, Father God, as we come to your word this morning, 
We acknowledge that you are the creator and owner of all things and that you are the creator and the owner of all people. And of all the gifts, Father, we acknowledge, of all the gifts that you've given us, the greatest gifts beyond your son and his cross and the new life that that you give to us through him, the forgiveness of sins that comes through the cross of Jesus and his sacrificial death for us. Of all the gifts you've given us, the greatest gifts you give to us are people. We acknowledge that. We acknowledge that people are eternal, that their destinies matter. And so Father, today as we gather around your word and as we look at this subject, of our relationships with the smallest among us, the weakest, the most powerless, the most naive, the most gullible, the most trusting, that as we look at our relationships to these little ones, we pray, Father, that you will help us to see them as you see them, to love them as you love them, to care for them as you care for them, and to take up the call that you give to us to steward them well. So grant us, Father, a fresh hearing of a familiar passage this morning, we pray. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen and amen. All right, this is, a, this is a brief but a widely known episode from Jesus' ministry. It's known as the blessing of the children. Jesus is on his way. As we come to this passage, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to a great welcome. He will be welcomed as king. He's going to be crucified as a criminal. And all in this one trip, Jesus knows it. His disciples sense the first part. They still haven't gotten the second part, but he is making his way. And as he's making his way, he is teaching his way to Jerusalem. And because people continue to follow him, people are very, very interested in him because he began his ministry declaring that the kingdom of God was near. Everyone was looking for God's kingdom to come. Everyone wanted a place in God's kingdom, his rule, where, where his enemies would be defeated and God's promised Messiah, the savior king would come and make all the wrongs right. Everyone was looking for the king. Everyone was wanting to be in the kingdom. Everyone wanted to know how how you could enter that kingdom, how you could get in. Jesus came preaching the kingdom, announcing the kingdom. And so they had, uh, he had their full attention. They're wanting to know, how do you get in? How do you enter the kingdom? How do you, how do you become part of it? And are you the king? We, we want to know. We sense that maybe you are. We want to know if you are. And so he's traveling. He's going to Jerusalem. And crowds just follow him everywhere he goes. And he pauses and he teaches and he travels. And he pauses and he teaches and he travels. Well, he's just gotten through preaching or teaching on marriage and divorce. And as he's wrapping things up, there are parents, John says people, we we believe them to be parents, who are bringing their children to him and asking that he lay his hands on them. Now, why is immediately the question, why? Well, the truth is it was customary for parents to bring children to rabbis and teachers and to ask them to pray for those, those little ones. So it was customary. But if we just leave it there, we really misunderstand what's taking place here. 
The, the touch of Jesus had already been proven to deliver healing. Many people sought healing from Jesus and very often with a touch, he would heal them. The, the woman who had the issue of blood in, in Mark 5, she merely touched the hem of his garment and she was healed. But that is not why these parents are bringing their children. It wasn't so that they could be healed, but rather it was so they could be helped. And so we see this picture, it's a powerful picture of parents bringing children, little children in the original language. It would have been anyone from, from eight days old to 12 years old, a pretty good mix, but little children bringing their little children to Jesus. There is a sense here of urgency about what they're doing. When Mark says they are bringing their little children to Jesus in the original language, it conveys a double sense. It, it conveys a sense of great desire, but also at the same time, a sense of urgency. I need to get my child to Jesus. I want to get my child to Jesus. For some reason, the disciples, uh, and, and it's so easy to be critical of them, but we are so much like them, so we have to be really, really careful. But for some reason, even though Jesus has told them, time, he's already explained how important children are, they're still rebuking the, the parents, still rebuking the children, don't want the parents to bring the children to Jesus. I suspect they simply wanna get Jesus going. They're kind of acting like gatekeepers. Let's keep this moving, let's keep this moving. All right, you've done your teaching, let's get going. You're the king, we believe you're the king. We need to get you to Jerusalem so that you can set up your kingdom. You don't need to mess with these little ones. You don't need to mess with these children. We need to get you going, leave Jesus alone. Well, Jesus is indignant. He's angry, the scripture says, that they would do this. And so he rebukes the disciples who are rebuking the parents. And he does it, he's angry because he sees this as unfair. He's angry because what the disciples keep missing about him and his kingdom could actually cause the children, their parents, and the disciples themselves to miss the very life with him in his kingdom that he came to give. So they're getting in his way. It's not the children who are getting in the way, it's the disciples. Jesus is angry because nothing less than the uh, destiny of these children and their parents and even the disciples hangs in the balance. And so what we find here is that Jesus uses this situation to take and make two vital points about his kingdom and how people come to have a place in it. He makes a point about how children especially are to be seen and treated and spiritually helped. We're going to consider both, but we're gonna really focus on the children. Jesus explains here in this passage that there is an urgent need for right stewardship when it comes to our children. A stewardship that's required for the sake of the children who need his kingdom rule and need his kingdom reign. And because he does, what we find here in this passage has some massive implications for parents and for all of us who share responsibility for stewarding the lives of kids. These implications come from what Jesus says and does, and I want to put them before you as urgent. I'm going to frame them especially for parents but there are applications for all of us who have a role. Jesus shows us three things, and we're gonna look at the first one today. He shows us, first of all, the immense calling that comes with kids. 
He shows us, secondly, the first responsibilities that we have when it comes to kids. And he shows us, thirdly, the single greatest blessing that can come from stewarding kids well. In other words, he answers three questions. What's a child worth? Why does childhood matter? And what's a parent for? And we want to look at those in particular this morning as we look at the immense calling that comes with kids. Look with me at verse 13. The scripture says, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them and the disciples rebuke them. As we said, there is an urgency, there is a desire that's driving these parents. And immediately, immediately, we want to ask why. And we have acknowledged this customary, but there's so much more back of this. Wasn't healing, they needed help. These parents who are coming are Jewish parents. They've been shaped by the Old Testament. Their understanding of the value of kids, of the, the importance of childhood and the call of parents all comes from the Old Testament, is all informed by the Old Testament. And so they're, they're driven to Jesus because they have the answers to some questions that I wonder sometimes if we still have. What is a child worth? Why does childhood matter? And at the end of the day, what's a parent for? I'm not sure we really clearly understand this. And by the way, if you are a teacher, a coach or whatever, you're a believer, you have a role in coming alongside parents in this, Christian parents, if you are a, a kid's life group teacher or leader, you have a role, we as a church have a role in coming alongside parents. We need to understand what a child is worth, why their childhood matters, and what a parent is for. I want you to see with me that these are questions that these parents have already answered and they're anchored in the Old Testament and that is why they're bringing these children to Jesus. First of all, they're convinced of the value of children. Children um, for these Jewish parents are not burdens to be born, nor are they trophies to be displayed as proof of their parents' worth or superiority before other parents. In other words, they wouldn't have used Facebook to constantly make announcements of the latest tooth the child has given birth to. They would not have done that. They, they would not have pushed their kids to a side and shoved them in front of a screen and, and said, you know, here. They wouldn't be constantly tucking their kids away, seeing them as somehow a burden that they've got to endure, nor a trophy that they've got to present to the world. See what a great job I did? You do that for very long, your child will let you down and you'll be going, don't look. Don't look. But rather than seeing them as, as a burden to be born or a trophy to be put on display, they saw children very, very differently. When they looked at their children, they saw them as gifts. Psalm 127.3 makes this simple declaration, and this is part of what informs their view. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, and undeserved reward. 
Behold, children are a heritage, a gift from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, an undeserved reward. They saw their children as gifts on loan from God to them to influence. They didn't see their children as property, nor did they see their children as proofs of who they were, what they could do, or so on and so forth. Their gifts, as the rest of that Psalm 127 shows us, they're gifts that have great potential. And these parents saw that. Great potential for good. They, they knew though, and this is important, that the potential was real, but it wasn't automatic. That every child God had given to them had real potential, but the potential was not necessarily going to be automatically realized. And the fact that children belong ultimately to the Lord and, and are only temporarily given to parents means not only that children, these children were loved and treasured, and, and, and so as a result of that, because they were a gift from God, an undeserved reward, they, they wanted their children to flourish. They wanted their children to live whole, full lives. Every, every parent wants that for their kids. I want you to flourish. I want you to have a whole life. I want you to have a full life. This is my heart for you. Sometimes we get that mixed up and we, we kind of confuse it and we, miss, we misstate it and we say, we just, I just want my kids to be happy. I don't want my kids to be happy. I want my kids to be whole. I want my kids to be whole. I want my kids to flourish. Happiness comes and goes, but what they really need is wholeness. Am I right? Is that not what you want for your children? I want them to be whole. And these parents know, and we can minimize or forget this, that if full lives are going to belong to their kids, God's going to have to get involved because they can't make their lives flourish. You try as hard as you want to. You cannot make your children flourish. And so the picture we have here is of parents seeking God for their children. It's actually very powerful. This picture of these parents earnestly, urgently bringing their little ones to Jesus. And, and if, you, if you begin to see that, you really start to get angry with Jesus at the disciples saying, what are you doing? What are you doing saying, get away? This is exactly what these kids need. There's a second, there's a second uh, sense of parenting that these, these uh, Jewish uh, parents bring and, and that informs what they're doing here in verse 13. And that is a sense of the brevity and the urgency of childhood. Proverbs 22.6. Now hang on, I know this one's gonna, gonna weigh you down. It's gonna hurt some of you, but let me explain it and then maybe I can get you back with me. This is that verse everybody hates who's had children. Are you ready? Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. See, all the air just went out of the room. I don't even have to explain it. I tried so hard. 
Well, I want you to hear me just for a second. We're going to keep going, but I want you to hear me. This, this passage has been a source of a lot of confusion and discouragement for a lot of parents who have tried to raise their children properly and yet seen their kids grow up and take a completely different course. We've we got to understand that a proverb is not a promise. A proverb is never a promise. A, pro, a proverb always lays out principles. It does not lay out promises. We tend to read this proverb like it's a promise, and when in reality, it's a principle. Let me explain what I mean by that. This proverb is, is an explanation of a life principle that presents the way things normally go. So these Jewish parents understand that their children who have such God-given value and potential will not have a chance to realize that potential if they aren't trained or taught how to live their lives. There are a couple of ideas at work right here that I want you to see, but they're ideas that Jewish parents understood. I don't know if we do. The first idea is that childhood doesn't last, that life moves quickly and boys and girls become women and men. And as a result of that, training should be intentional and deliberate and should be happening while children are children, while parents have the greatest opportunity for influence and impact. Here's something I've learned, is that parents will always have some measure of influence, but your capacity to impact your kids diminishes quickly over time. You will always have some measure of influence, but your capacity to impact your children quickly diminishes over time. And that is why it says, train up a child in the way that he should go even when he is old and it's coming, he will not depart from it. What the, what the proverb is doing is it's setting us up to, look, to lean into reality. This childhood of, that, that, that your child is experiencing is very, very brief. And that makes it an urgent, urgent matter for you, or it should. The second idea here is simply this, the training of children when they are young has a direct impact on how they will live when they're older. It seems true that who we are and what we become are the consequence of nature, who we are in ourselves, nurture, how we've been raised and environment, the situations in which we were raised. But this proverb underscores the fact that parents naturally have the first and best opportunities to decide all three of these in the lives of their children. Now, the specific call of this proverb is for parents to train the children in the way they should go, which is by implication, according to God's truth about life. But one way to look at this training is to see it. And perhaps the most important way to see this training is to see it as giving children God's answers to the key questions of life that they're going to need to know in order to live well and, and, and to know what to live their lives for. Training them up is really a matter, and I think this is a great way to put it, of giving your kids as they're growing God's answers to life's biggest questions. Did you get one of these when you came in? Okay, pull that out. I want you to see it because I think I've, I've really struggled with how, how can I convey what this training is? You say, I didn't get it. Well, your kids are doomed. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's over. You might as well go. 
Or you can wait and get one as you go out and your kids will be rescued again. But here's what I want you to see. Life for a child is like a puzzle. That uh, they're going to begin working on to try to put, put it together. The pieces of that puzzle really come in the form of questions that require answers. And, and these are some of the most basic questions. Every child needs to know them. And I wanna pause and I wanna say something to you very directly. No child has these answers by themselves. You can look in your heart all day long and all you will find is emotion. You will not find answers. Who am I? You don't know. What am I worth? I don't know. What am I supposed to do? I don't know. Why am I here? I don't know. Where does life come from? I don't know. I need someone to help me answer these questions. And I need questions to these, uh, answers to these questions that all fit together to give me a bigger view of what life actually is about. How many of you work puzzles or at least have tried? Have you ever bought one of those with like 2,000 pieces? I mean, you might as well just make an appointment with a, with a therapist. <laughs> Say, hey, I'm, I wanna make an appointment. I know I can't get in to see you for six months, but I bought a puzzle with 2,000 pieces. I'm gonna to need to see you. I'm just telling you. And if you have kids, dogs or cats, you're gonna to need to have them rush that up. That's all I'm gonna say, that's all I'm gonna say. How many of you have actually worked one? Well, you know and I know, is that all? How many of you have never worked a puzzle? Just two or three. Well, that's good and the rest of you don't know. Okay, but, but if you've ever worked one, you know that the, one of the best things you can do is look at the cover of the box, at the picture, so you know what it is you're trying to put together. Training children in the way they should go. One of the best ways I know how to convey it to parents is a matter of holding up God's picture of life and giving them the answers, God's answers to these basic questions so that they are able to take the pieces and begin putting them together. And then careful parents are always involved and engaged in helping the children put those pieces together and see how they fit. Does that make sense? And it happens on, uh, on a much more frequent basis. The opportunity to do this happens on a much more frequent basis than most of us know or imagine. I'll never forget the day I was sitting up in my study way, way back. And my oldest is a boy. He's Christian. Christian is his name. He's 36, 37 now. 
I'll never forget the day he came up to me and, and I was working on my computer and he looked at me and he said, two, I had two questions. First question was, Daddy, does uh, God make snow out of milk? I knew he was going to be brilliant from that day forward. I just knew. <laughs> I just knew it. And uh, so we worked through that question. That was not one of the big questions of life. You will not find that on the puzzle card. Does God make snow out of milk? And then he stopped and he looked at me and he said to me, Dad, Daddy, he said, do you love me more than Jesus? Do you see what he was doing? Now, I, I gotta tell you, he was maybe four years old. What question was he asking on the card? What am I worth? What am I worth? How much am I worth, Dad? Now, I could have said, oh, I don't ask such a stupid question. I could have done that. Um, go ask your mother. I could have done that. But it was a real opportunity to say, son, oh, that's a good question. And here's a piece of the puzzle of life that you need to know. I, I told him, I love you with all my heart, but I love Jesus more. And let me tell you why. Because when I follow Jesus, it makes me a better daddy and a better husband to mom. I love you. But the love that I have for you, Jesus gives me and makes it even better. Now, whether he understood that at four, I don't know. But I'll tell you this much, he understood, he was already understanding that Jesus was an important part of my life. That I was building my life around Christ. And he was figuring that out and what he was wondering was where does he fit? And did he have a place? And I'm telling you, kids do this kind of thing all the time. Older kids, younger kids, they do this kind of thing all the time. And it is a real opportunity, a living opportunity to train children in the way they should go. So this is, the, this is the, a foundational way that parents train their children, as the New Testament says, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. This is a, one of the foundational ways they train up a child in the way they should go. There's a broader principle though, and then we gotta move on, that's found in that one proverb that these, these Jewish parents bringing their children to Jesus, I'm sure understood. And, and we could state this broader principle this way. Whatever you show and tell your children is the way that they should go or is the way they should live their lives, always helps set the way they will go later. So whether or not you teach your children in the way God says they should go, by the way you raise them, you are automatically telling them, this is the way to go. What you value, they're going to mimic and value. What you pour your life into, they're going to begin to pour their lives into. 
So there is a, another way of understanding this. Train up a child in the way, I could even insert this, that you think they should go and in the end they will not depart from it. Every single one of us has been deeply impacted by a parent or parents. Every single one of us in this room does certain things a certain way because we were trained up that way. And it has impacted who we are and how we live. And I can't, I can't stress this enough, for, especially for parents. Whatever you focus on, your child is going to focus on. You have the first chance, not the only chance, but the first chance to fix their focus. So I wanna pause and just ask you a question. And this is a hard question. I gotta move on. What would your child say your family has as its focus? What would your child say if you were to ask them, and maybe they're so young they couldn't articulate it. Some of them are old enough to articulate it. What really matters to us? What would your child say? Clean up your room, a clean house. Don't scratch daddy's car. Ultimately, what that means is things really matter. Our focus and our families on things. Be good when you're out in public. What are we saying? We're saying to our kids, what really matters is what other people think. What is the focus, the theme of your family? Be right, always be right, or always be Jesus. What is the focus? What would your children say? I think this is one of those rare times where uh, what the child says matters more than what the parent says. Because you're old enough to know the good Sunday school answer. I know, I know, I know. And we don't even have Sunday school, but you still know the Sunday school answer. We have life groups. What would your child say? This is the point of our family. This is the focus of our family. This is what drives our family. This is what our family is about. This leads to a third sense of understanding that these Jewish parents have, and that is they have a sense of the special calling of God. And nowhere is this calling clearer than in Deuteronomy 6, where Moses says on God's behalf these famous words. Now, this is the commandment, Deuteronomy 6.1. This is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you so that you may do them in the land into which you are going to possess it. So that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. So hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may flourish and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here's the most important truth you need to know. 
you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. He is worthy of your love and that is why you are here, to live in a love relationship with him. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And here it comes. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them diligently. Talk of them when you sit in your house. Talk of them when you walk by the way. When you lie down and when you rise. Later, he says, and when your son asks you in time to come, when your, when your son or your daughter comes and says, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and these rules you keep talking about? Why, mom? Why, dad? Why? Then you shall say to your son, this is why. This is so important. We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The only one who can help us get out of the hard times, the difficult times, the challenging times, the breaking times, the broken times, the only one who can get us out of that is the one who got us out of slavery in Egypt. He's the only one. That's why, that's why I'm always talking. Always pointing, always modeling, always showing whenever we're in the car and going somewhere. When you had a great t-ball game and when you've had a terrible t-ball game. How many of you were terrible at t-ball? I kept hitting underneath the ball forever and a day. Later I figured out was track and basketball was more my thing, but just t-ball, it was awful. Some of you say, I don't even need need a T-ball. I went straight on. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Okay. Bet you still got your picture when you played for the Winston-Salem Nationals up behind your desk, don't you? Everywhere, all the time, pointing to the God who is worthy of love, devotion, obedience, always ready to explain why. It's right here that we have the the most complete call of God to parents to be found in the Bible. Now, here's what I know about most of us. We think that, that really good parenting Actually, we go to this as almost as a default, involves three things, protection, provision, and correction. And for some of us, the correction is a little bit wobbly because we want our kids to be our friends. We want them to like us, so we don't correct them very much. We don't want to hear those words from them, I hate you, mommy, I hate you, daddy. Oh yeah, they're going to hate you. Anytime you give them boundaries, they're going to hate you. It just happens. They'll get over it, you'll get over it, am I right? Protection, provision, correction. 
And for a lot of us, we define good parenting as I provide, I protect, and I correct. Therefore, I'm a good parent. What's interesting to me is in this classic call to parenting here, you, you see no word about protection, provision, or correction, really. You see instead formation. That being a protector, a provider, and a corrector is really just the foundation for the ultimate calling that every parent has. It's not a protector, it's a shaper. It's not a, 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 a provider, it's a shaper. It's not a corrector, it's a shaper. Those things get you there. And, and you, yes, the Bible is for them, but ultimately your calling is to shape and form your children by the grace of God and in the strength God gives you to always be thinking with God at the center. The aim of the shaping is to give kids a chance to know the God of life as he is, to love him for the life that he gives, to serve him with all their lives with joy. It's to give them the opportunity to know him, which is the first step, to loving him, which is the first step, to obeying him, which is the first step, to finding the life that only he can give. And I want to say this as clearly as I can. Knowing the God of life, loving him for the life he gives, serving him with all of your life does not come from protection, provision, or correction. It does not come from those things. You can do all of those things very well and your child will still grow up pagan. Oh, I know your grandfather was a, was a Methodist circuit rider and you still got his Bible but I need to remind you, God doesn't have any grandchildren. And just because you had a living experience and encounter with the risen Jesus doesn't mean your child has had the same experience. It is your opportunity. It is your role to point them to him and to shape them by God's grace in such a way that they look for him first. So God's call to these parents, the role he's given to them as as parents is to act as teachers to their children who are committed to shaping their young hearts and minds so so their children can know him as he really is, the one and only God. Love him as he really is with all their heart, souls, and might and desire him above all else and thus keep his commandments for all of life. God's calling us to be shapers. So when we see these parents come to Jesus with their kids, it is ultimately because they have a sense of God's true calling on their lives. And you'll notice with me in in what remains of this brief event 
that Jesus affirms what these parents are doing and he confirms what these parents know from the Old Testament. He's confirming children are valuable, childhood matters, and that what a parent is for is far more than just protection, provision, or correction. It's about formation, spiritual formation. And he does this beautiful thing. He rebukes the disciples in verse 14 for keeping the parents from fulfilling their call. And then he models that by allowing the children to come, gathering them up in his arms, which is exactly where every parent wants their child to be. And he blesses them. So I want to make a point. I really want to drill this home. I need for you to see this. This is what your child looks like at about middle school. Can I get a witness? What I want to say to you is they don't start this way. They literally come to us as a plastic tub. Now watch. But little by little, we start dropping pieces into their little lives. Answering the questions. And then we send them to kindergarten and you've got somebody else dropping pieces into their lives. And then you've got neighborhood kids and their families that are dropping pieces into their lives. And then you start them with a coach on a team and they start dropping pieces into their lives. And sooner or later, you give them a screen to watch And then you bring them to church and you give us, of course, I preach longer and I do it for the children. <laughs> what? 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 Not the children's workers, but I do it for the children. And you bring them to church every Sunday or every other Sunday and we do They go home and get on Disney Plus. Guess who wins? By the time you get into middle school, you're going, who am I? What's my life supposed to look like? I got all these pictures. 
And believe you me, there's more than just four. I've never seen an age I've never seen an era, and I've lived 60 years, but I've never seen a time where there were more people intent on doing the formation of your children for you. March 2022. The Florida Parental Rights Bill Disney calls an emergency meeting of all its execs. Somebody films the emergency meeting on Zoom. It's stated explicitly that one of the goals now for Disney is to queer children, to shift their understanding of gender and sex. This is not the Disney of Snow White and the Seven, was it Seven Dwarfs that she had? Yeah. <laughs> This is not the Disney you grew up with. Very intentional programming. Because they're very happy to do the formation of your children for you. They're glad for you to protect them, provide for them. Really don't want you correcting them. But they stand ready, and it's not just Disney. My little granddaughter brought home an American Girl doll and it was full of this is what matters, this is what is valuable. Full of teaching, full of formation. And my appeal simply to parents is you're only gonna have your child for so long and believe you me, when they're 17, it's a different ball game from when they're seven, which is a different ball game from when they're four. Now your kids are wherever they are right now, but wherever they are right now, now's the time to start. Because if you don't start giving to your children deliberate guidance on what pieces really make life work and are going to form the best picture of life. If you don't do it, I'm telling you, somebody else not only will, somebody else already is. So don't be surprised when they come home from college as freshmen and suddenly they're questioning everything you taught them about who they are, what they are, where they came from, if you didn't help them earlier on to put the pieces of life's puzzle together. I didn't get it all right with my kids. You will not get it all right with yours. But I am proud of the fact that he asked me whether God made milk, snow with milk. <laughs> he knows better now, but part of, my, part of my joy with my son is that I know he's in church this morning.
And it's not because God makes snow with milk. Moms and dads, your kids need you. They need you to accept this calling from God. To be active and deliberate in forming their hearts and minds. Kids will do a lot of exploring and they'll do a lot of testing with the pieces of the puzzle and the picture. And you've got to accept that. You did it. We all do it. It's going to happen. But the more intentional, the more active you are. When you're getting up, when you're going to bed, when you're walking by the way, of pointing to and modeling and explaining the picture of life that comes from the gospel of Jesus, the greater the opportunity your child will have to really live in a culture that is really dying. The reason Jesus was so indignant is because he knew the destiny of those boys and girls depended on whether they could make their way to him and know who he really was. Now, as a church, we want to help you. And part of our commitment is by way of our pastors, by way of our trellis and vine, is to provide you with resources to help you understand not only what you should be saying, but what you should be seeking to take out By the way, it's a whole lot easier to keep it out than it is to take it out, I'm just saying. But we want to help. Because your children matter. They are of infinite worth. God loves them. The cross proves it. And he calls us point them to Christ and his sacrifice. And all that that means for sex, for work, for marriage. For all of life. Father God, I thank you and I bless you that today we've been able to hear your word from Old Testament and New, and we've been able to pause and think about some things that we don't often think about. We've had the benefit of, Father, your wisdom, your word, and you've given us this morning a fresh view of the calling 
that you give first to parents, but then that you give to the body of Christ, to teachers and helpers and so many others. Lord, you've got public school teachers in this room who have an opportunity to influence and guide and help Christian students under their care. There are coaches in this room who have the same opportunity to put in the right pieces of your puzzle into those young lives, to listen for the questions, look for the opportunities, to commend you, your truth, to show them how it all fits together in the picture that ultimately comes of a life more abundant, a life free of sin, a life free for Christ, a life free for others, a life rich and flourishing. Oh God, help us in this. To do what these ancient parents did on that remarkable day when despite the objections and the obstructions of your own disciples, Lord Jesus, they came and they kept coming, urgently wanting their children, Lord Jesus, to know you, to be where you are and to have your blessing. Find us as faithful as they were, indeed more faithful, for we know more than they knew. Granted, it would be so for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.